Hello, and welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, host and independent author of sci-fi and fantasy books, father of five, full-time worker, homesteader, and a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to talk to you about what it's like to be an author, how we can prioritize and be productive, and how we can be encouraged to know that despite our busyness, we can still make the best of our authoring. To learn more about me, my books, or access the podcast show notes, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. Let's get started. Hello, it's Dan Kenner with another episode. It is Tuesday, October 11th, 2022, and this is episode 48 of the podcast. Today, we are talking to Hiram Hawks about writing sci-fi, particularly hard sci-fi, and a lot about space. So Hiram is very knowledgeable about space, about the science around, and he has multiple degrees. Absolutely fascinating. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So uh, before we dive into that, we'll run through some updates. I have actually been off of work for almost a whole week. Uh, It was a little bit funny. I took three days at the latter end of last week off. Two of them were intended for butchering, or I'll use the term processing for those of you who might not like it. A bunch of chickens last week. So our meat chickens finally came of age, and it was time to put them in the freezer slash can them. And it was a big job. Um, (laughs) We knew it would be a big job. We wanted to do it a little bit differently this year because last year we did it in two batches. Uh, We bought one batch. It was about half of what we had this year. And then we decided last year, well, this isn't going to be enough. Like we have, we're a family of seven and we don't eat a crazy amount of meat, but still we didn't want to have to buy any from the store. And fortunately we've been able to avoid it because we bought a second round last year. The problem is then we had to do it twice and (laughs) the setup isn't overly complex, but you've got to like plug in the, the plucker and you've got to set up the scalder and you know, there's just a lot of extra steps. And so it was unfortunate that we had to process a couple of chickens here or there as their legs broke. I talked about that a little bit last week. But anyway, grateful to have them in the freezer. Um, they turned out, to, they grew very, very well. They're very plump, we'll say that. And so we're happy with how it turned out. Obviously, it's not like a fun thing, I will say that. <laughs> Definitely not the most enjoyable job. But you do what you got to do. We have nice, organic, clean meat, and meat's been really expensive recently. So we're grateful that we don't have to buy that. Granted, this wasn't like the cheapest meat. I mean, feeding chickens is expensive, but still, it's all done. So that's great. Um, but I all, the reason I had almost a week off is because I did not realize that yesterday was a holiday. I don't know if it's just my, my brain or my lack of planning or whatnot. I'm not sure. I, I never remember when there are holidays. So when I asked for that time off, I didn't realize that it was indigenous people or Columbus day, you know, however you want to refer to it. Um, so I had the day off yesterday, but we're, we're back to work today and you know, it is what it is, but, uh, we also spent, a bunch of time cleaning out the garden. I know some of you may be thinking, oh, that's pretty early. But in southeast Idaho, we actually get relatively early frosts. I'm kind of surprised we haven't had a frost yet. Our frost date is, I think, back in September. So we've been able to avoid it so far. But we're not really getting anything else. We have a very short season, and we didn't want to put it off. Last year, we put it off till November, and it was very stressful. It was freezing, and it was snowing, and it was a whole deal. So we're doing it early. We got most of it cleaned out. 
give, given to the chickens. We're composting some things and, you know, the life of a homestead. It's great. It's so exciting. Um, that is what I did. I did take a writing day. I will say this. Now, uh, Friday I took off because I figured why well, go back to work for one day when I'm going to be off Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Um, did I write? Yes. Did I write as much as I would have hoped? No, <laughs> but that's okay. I wrote about 4,000 words. So I didn't spend the whole day writing. Um, obviously I was working on some marketing things and there was a whole TikTok marketing and the, looking at my plan and just kind of messing around with my site. There was a lot of things that I was doing that day, but I was happy to write 4,000 words. So definitely not something to scoff at. I on a good day, when I'm writing for 30 to, to 30 minutes to an hour, I can get anywhere from 1,200 to 2,000 words. So I wasn't super efficient, but I wrote. Um, now, the fun thing <laughs> about being a pantser is, I mean, it, this is a hard question to answer anyway, but my wife asked me, well, what's your book about? My son's asked me, well, what is your book about? I don't know. Like, I know I, I have significant chunk of of writing done I, i'm up to twenty eight thousand words on this work in progress um and so i have an idea of what it's about but to try to put it into words even when it's a completed story is practically impossible for any author so to ask me a pantser what my book is about i'm just like i i don't know how to answer that question it is interesting <laughs> it's can give you some idea Regardless, I'm enjoying the writing process. I do wish that I could focus a little bit more and get more done per day, but, you know, I'll take it as it comes. Kids have been waking me up in the night recently, so writing in the morning has not been as productive as I would like. Uh, if I can squeeze a little bit of time in the middle of the day, I try, but it doesn't always happen. But I, I am writing, uh, and Currently still just trying to figure out how to get the Lightbearer Chronicles in front of readers. I tell you what, it is so challenging, particularly when I don't have a lot of time and resources to make fancy marketing videos with beautiful imagery and commission artists to create beautiful pictures, renditions of my books and characters. I don't really have those resources. So trying to go the old-fashioned way and um, <laughs> the silly way via TikTok, it's been relatively volatile i'll say that some little bits of success here and there but still just trying to find the readers um and obviously not just to sell books just to have a reader base i definitely do not have that um gather some reviews which i know takes uh, <laughs> uh grinding your teeth to, to get those i swear but i'm grateful for everybody who has read the books who is looking for a clean fantasy and who has reviewed my book so very appreciative of those but for now still just kind of playing around with the marketing, testing some Amazon ads, uh, keeping up on my ads for authors course that I've invested in by Mark Dawson is very, very helpful information. I do need to spend a little bit more time in there per day and per week, but I try to as often as I can. So um, in terms of the audiobooks, um, I'm still working on the AI audiobooks, listening through the whole thing. My books are just really beefy. They're really long. And so it's going to take me a while to actually listen through the audio unless I just kind of go out a limb and trust that the pronunciation of the AI is perfect, which I know it's not. Um, once I do have it all put together, I definitely will not be charging a lot for it. So keep that in mind. It, it's just intended to reach those people who are really wanting to read the Lightbearer Chronicles but might not have... Um, the, the the time to read it in a physical or digital format, which I totally get. 
So that's where I am on author stuff. Definitely a little bit more slow moving than I would prefer. But hey, this is called The Casual Author for a reason. Um, as a reminder, it's okay if you don't have a crazy amount of time to dump into your author objectives and goals. That's okay. That's I, I, I've come to terms with it. I admit it took me a little bit of time to not feel upset or kind of shortchanged by the fact that I don't have a lot of time for this and recognizing, hey, it's fun. I do it out of enjoyment. Um, it's a little kind of business on the side, very small business on the side, not making a lot of profit, but I'm enjoying the process, the creative process, um, building a business. And eventually when I do have a backlist, and maybe in 10, 15 years from now, when I do have that backlist, perhaps I can take a look at maybe going full time or at least, um, going part-time or contract work or whatnot to, to make the money that I need for my family. But for now, it is casual, and I'm going with it. So I believe that is it for all of the updates. So we'll go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast. Hey, Hiram, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? doing very well. I'm excited to talk to you uh, for a number of reasons. One, because we're going to be talking about sci-fi. I absolutely love reading sci-fi, although perhaps not as much as you. <laughs> we'll get into that in just a moment. And we're going to be talking about space and kind of the reality of the science and just the environment of space, which I know some people struggle with, right? It, it does require a level of knowledge to do it right in books. But before we dive yes. into that, I like to talk to ask the person I'm talking to, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been writing and where are you in the publishing process? Well, um, I am an, I'm a scientist and engineer. I have master's degrees in chemistry, chemical engineering, and most recently in outer space resources. Cool basically how to utilize outer space for commercial and uh, colonization reasons. Um, awesome. So been doing that for uh, the last few years, that last part, but uh, been interested in space my whole life. So just always been a science, science nerd. Um, I really only started writing last this last several months, uh, though I've been reading for since I was about three years old. Mm -hmm. uh, always loved reading especially loved sci-fi um got my start really with ender's game mm -hmm. in great in book sci-fi genre didn't mm -hmm. it, it was one of those that really sung the story sung to me um sang to me anyway uh it was a great uh a great start and then i have re read many other things uh kind of in some ways have outgrown some of the early stories and realized some of the things that were very weird about them or mm -hmm. on, and uh loved star wars and don't so much anymore <laughs> sure and it's not the stories are fine it's just i've gotten i've known i now know too much about space in some ways yeah, I was actually wondering that seems like this is the type of thing where your your enjoyment for certain books might decline as you realize like, well, that's not technically accurate or hey, that's not possible. And I can just see it distracting you. If you're trying it to does. enjoy these stories. So, so why so much study around space? Is it just a passion of yours? You just love learning the science behind it? Or are you hoping to do something more with what you've learned with space? Both of them, yes. Um, okay. 
challenge with space is, uh, since I was little, it's just been fascinating to me. Um, I grew up with a dad who <clears throat> would wa- rewatch Apollo 13 mm. yearly, and he'd still cry at the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I found out he was 11 years old when Apollo 11 landed. Uh-huh. So yeah. It's childhood, the realities of the moon's the moon missions. And so I grew up with a dad who, though he was not a scientist in any way, and hated math to the point that he taught me how to use spreadsheets because he said, this is how I don't do math. <laughs> he instilled in me that love for outer space. Uh, we had <laughs> we had conversations at the dinner table where my dad, uh, especially as I reached my high school and already knew more about science than anyone else in the family, he'd ask me things like, so if the warp core breaks down and and explodes, what happens? And I'd have to start explaining to him the fake science of, St- of Star Trek. And then eventually, as we were arguing about things, my mom would pipe in and say, you guys know it's fiction, right? <laughs> so I, I learned to love space. Stargate and Star Trek and to a lesser extent, Star Wars were a lot of my childhood. Um, but Star Trek was fun while Stargate was life. That's really that's. It's a comedic sci-fi. It's it's great. It's, it doesn't take itself too seriously. That's true. It, it gets away with a lot more than something that takes itself too seriously, like Star Wars. And I can tell you, point by point, for hours, why I hate Star Wars, but I won't. Um, <laughs> Probably not today. I don't know if we no, have time no, for it. <laughs> no, but I'll summarize it with one thing: there is air in their in their galaxy. In space, explanation um, mm. for everything. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for I mean, I think I understand what you mean, but I don't have a thousand science degrees like you, so uh, <laughs> I definitely appreciate your perspective on the mm-hmm. truth of science and space. But I love that. So, what, where does this come in with your writing? Did you know when you were um, thinking about starting writing, and when you actually began in March that you wanted to? infuse your books with your in-depth knowledge of space has that always been part of the plan once you started writing i don't know that it was conscious it was more of a given to me that wrote something it has to be rigorous Mm -hmm. i'm influenced by brandon sanderson Mm -hmm. Uh, he his laws of science or his laws of magic to me are actually valid for sci-fi just as much Mm -hmm. or as i Sci-fi and fantasy are two sides of the same coin. Their past and their future. Mm-hmm. And we live sadly in the middle of that coin, so we don't get the fun of either side. Though at least we have running water and don't live in feudal Europe. Um, <laughs> True. But even my even my fantasy, I I I can't suspend my disbelief as much as some people probably, and so I need to have that grounding in hard science. So even my magic systems have to follow rigorous psych uh, physics and chemistry or else they're just not gonna it doesn't sing to me sure make me i wouldn't want to read that book as much as i want to read one where the the magic involves them manipulating chemistry but then there's consequences to it like if you if you want to uh do something with magic thermodynamics is still going to win and so you better have 
an idea of what happens. You you turn someone into crystal. Where does the energy to do that come from? And what happens to all the matter? Because you just changed the state of matter. Well, that's nuclear reactions. That's going to be a huge energy draw from somewhere. So that's it just came. It it had to it has to be because that's the world I I've lived in for so long. I, I think that's amazing. Leveraging the the background and the understanding that you have of science to make sure that not only does it make sense, um, but probably flows a little bit better perhaps for the reader but there aren't these questions that are like you said like well how is that possible or whatnot so the, the the other question that i have for you is as you're writing this how are you ensuring that the level of information you put into your books isn't how do i say this is going to reach a reader like me who has no understanding of these things right because there's kind of yes. that knowledge gap of you you can use all of these really complicated and logistical terms uh for things that might not reach me as a reader so how do you balance that as you're writing well for starters i try to think of it the way i did when i used to teach sure so okay when i was when I was in my early 20s, I taught at the community college, taught chemistry, um, found out that being adjunct faculty makes jack squat. So I decided not to pursue that as a career. Yeah. Uh, before COVID, I actually spent a year uh, teaching junior high engineering. Okay. <clears throat> um, I got to teach them technologies and engineering principles. And I realized that the the ability to explain it to someone who doesn't speak your language is necessary in order to teach them. Mm-hmm. And i see it all as a linguistics question. And in fact, I would say that my entire life I've been a linguist. I just don't speak the same language. I, I speak Korean because I served a mission for my church in Korea. Okay. And so two years in Korea and I learned a lot about linguistic variations and, and all that. And so that was great. Learning languages cannot do anything but help. But fundamentally, science and engineering are their own language. Mm -hmm. So I've learned enough of them. There's a reason I'm now a systems engineer. I've kind of changed. I I worked in mining. I worked in oil and gas. I've worked all over the world. I've written patents. In fact, I still write patents, which is one of the... I've written literally over 100 patents for one company. Wow. And so... All of those things, I really learned different languages. And so now I see writing as a way of taking and translating from one group to another. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to te- treat it that way. If I'm explaining it to my children, I don't use the same languages I do to my best friend, who is a fellow chemical engineer and space nerd. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same language. And so it's just like if I'm speaking Korean versus English or speaking my very poor Spanish. Um, I, I can communicate in Spanish just enough to order food, but not enough to do anything else. That's how I see books. And that's how I see my job as a scientist and engineer is I'm trying to con- convince people of my point of view or my the things they need to do. I got to change it into their language. Mm-hmm. I, de- I definitely agree with all of that. I coincidentally was a linguistics major in college because um, I agree. I'm I'm fascinated with linguistics, always have. I've studied a few language um, 
a few languages. I speak some Filipino languages fluently, but I've studied Arabic and Mandarin Chinese. Um, so I, I understand all of that. And that's that's kind of the thing that I think some people may struggle with when they bring their expertise, whatever it might be, whether it be science or maybe it's in music or in history or something. You know, you have a really extensive knowledge or degrees in something that you then infuse into your books. And, you know, some authors aren't great at, mm -hmm. you know, bringing it to, and I don't want to say bring it to a level because there aren't levels necessary in like hierarchy, mostly just like um, understanding levels in a certain topic. They're, they're not able to deliver that information in a communicable way. Yeah. Um, I do have one other secret. Oh, yes. I love the secret. Share the secrets. Insert jokes into info dumps. Okay. Okay. If you give an example, break, yes. So I have a I have a scene where um, the the engineer that's been kidnapped to Iran in my book that's I'm trying to find an author uh, I'm trying to query an agent. He has to explain what they've been doing, all this equipment that they've been building for this crazy general in Iran, mm -hmm. and he's trying to explain it to them, but he has to use technical terms. Now, I dumb it down enough for a crazy general, which still that's pretty much anyone else can understand it, but it's still a lot of information all at once. And so there's some physical humor throughout. I have the, him explaining stuff. And meanwhile, one of his fellow captives is pulling pranks on the general's staff and keeps setting off different phones so that they alarm with an obnoxious ringtone. And so the general, being unstable, keeps grabbing the phones and hitting them with a hammer. <laughs> and then at the end, he like throws the hammer at someone. So I, I put a large amount of information between sections of physical humor in, and, and it makes it uh, from at least what my readers say, it makes it very entertaining. Okay. Now, not everyone wants to write a comedy. So you can break it up with other things too breaking it up with dialogue with with romance with various just adventure that's that's one of the reasons marvel movies do so much better than dc movies is that they do the quips where they have serious stuff going on and then they put a quip in now i think they do it too much but it's the same principle you inject something out of place or different into the middle of too much of the large amounts of information because you sometimes have to give the information for the story to continue All right get up absolutely that's a really interesting perspective on it and i'm trying to think of any books that i've read recently that do you know use that method um i can't think of any off the top of my head but i can imagine how that would be way more engaging and allow them to actually pick up on the right information because you know mm -hmm. thick paragraphs of straight information are going to make readers want to skip it mm -hmm. <laughs> for one or not not keep it and so by the time they need to know that information it's lost so mm -hmm. infusing that i can see that would be really really helpful in you know breaking it up in that way and it's yeah i i think uh, i'm really curious to read some excerpts of, from your books because i'm not a sciencey person um linguistics music those are those are my type of thing i do like science but i haven't spent a lot of time in it just by nature of of what i've studied but i had time to study in college so I, I guess the question and uh, the next question, I think that's a really important tip for delivering the information. 
but then the next question I have is how do you, how, what would you recommend to an author who does need to learn more about space? They want to write sci-fi, but they don't have time for degrees or they don't have degrees, yet they still want to write these stories. How would you recommend they go about learning what they need and how much do they need to learn in order to make it realistic yeah. enough for their world? That is a that is a difficult question. Now, it depends on the level of sci-fi sure. you're doing. Hard sci-fi, you should really dive in, and I'll give some resources. Awesome. But doing some of the softer sci-fi, if you're doing things where it's more space opera, then okay. you you glaze over it. Mm-hmm. You you give the big words. It, and a, tr- a trick that they taught in writing excuses, I can't remember if it was Dan Wells or... or uh, Mary Robinette Kowal, but might have been Brandon Sanderson, but basically learn one thing really well Mm -hmm. and then give that bit of information and then gloss over everything else. Okay. So you hand wave your way through the larger stuff by proving you're smart in one little thing. Sure. And so that was huge. It's like, oh, so if you're, if you clearly explain one thing and then you hand wave your way through the rest of it, they'll think you know what you're doing. And so they'll let they'll forgive a lot. So that's a that's very professional authors. Um, the other one in that podcast, Howard Taylor, actually writes a site a space. Uh, he finished a twenty year run of a space web comic about mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Very hilarious. Highly recommended. Called uh, what is it called? Um, Schlock Mercenary. Okay. Hmm. Very bizarre. And he does that kind of comedic stuff. Um, but so if you're just you glaze through the expertise in one thing, glaze through the rest. Now, if you're trying to be more hard sci-fi, first and foremost, Kerbal Space Program. Okay. A video game you can get on Steam or wherever. I don't not sure where else, but the Kerbal Space Program Two is coming out this next year, I think, or maybe end of this year. But I and I there's a great web comic called XKCD. Um, and if you look up XKCD and Kerbal, you can actually see it. Basically, the graph shows how much you know about space and orbits versus what what you're doing. And it shows in high school, he learns a little. College, he learns a little more. Working for NASA, he learns a little more. And then playing Kerbal Space Program goes through the roof. Um, so I tried it. I thought, okay, I'm going to try it after reading that comic. And you basically play as these little green men and you're building spaceships and you're building a real spaceship. And then you get to fly into orbit and do real orbital mechanics. Hmm. Quickly discover that space, you got to think in circles, ellipses. Hmm. Can't think in straight lines. You, if you know enough, you can start thinking in straight lines for some hard sci-fi that, that is um, high speed, but in normal orbit, you got to think ellipses. You're going in a big circle. And so if you and another object are in two different orbits, that means you're going at two different speeds and you'll never touch. The only way two objects in orbit can ever collide is if one of them accelerates or decelerates so that another part of their orbit will connect. That's still only one spot. You only ever touch in one spot if you're crossing an orbit. And so orbit, you quickly learn that you've got to start thinking about, about change in velocity. You've got to think about how you're going to 
uh, match your orbits. You've got to just think in curves. So even when Apollo, when they you had the command module and you had the lunar module, and they needed to connect. You know, if you remember in Apollo 13, they, they disconnect and then they mm-hmm. flip around and there's the lunar module and they slowly approach. And everyone was so tense. And at first I was like, why is everyone so worried about this? They're just, you know, just going to connect. They're not. They're on a curve. They're in orbit. If they don't connect just right, they'll miss and then they'll never touch again without expending fuel. So that's the first. You got to start thinking in curves, and Kerbal Space Program helps you with that. Second, you have to think in delta V. That's change in velocity. Delta V is what it takes to go from here to anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So to from here to low Earth orbit is a huge delta V. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but then to go from low from low Earth orbit to to geosynchronous orbit is another amount of delta V. Not a very large one compared to the Earth to low Earth orbit. In fact, Earth to low Earth orbit is a huge delta V. It is more delta V to go from Earth to low Earth orbit than from low Earth orbit to the moon. Because once you get up, now you're going really fast and you can just accelerate a bit and you can event, you can make your orbit big enough to reach the moon. The hard part about going to the moon is the slowing down. Mm. That's why the Saturn V was enormous. Well, the, if you look at the Mars missions like Pathfinder or Perseverance, Perseverance went to the moon, or sorry, went to Mars with a smaller rocket than what we didn't went to the moon. Mm. could slow down. You don't need to slow down if you have an atmosphere to break against. Mm-hmm. That's why Perseverance and all the other Mars missions use smaller rockets than to go to the moon. Because to go to the moon, you have to slow down enough to land then you have to get back up and accelerate back to earth but going back to earth all they did was get in that little capsule that looks like you know a teardrop and just slam into the earth's atmosphere at the right angle and slow down you do the same thing with mars though you also need pair more parachutes and sometimes giant balloons there's all sorts of cool stuff so that's the second thing to think about is delta v always Going anywhere in space is knowing what your delta V is, how much rocket fuel you're going to use. And that comes back to the tyranny of the rocket equation. They call it that because to get to it, you have to carry fuel to get you to orbit. But the fuel you're carrying needs fuel to get it up towards orbit. And that fuel needs fuel to get it up into orbit. And so the bigger you are, the more fuel you need. And eventually you can get to the point where you just, there's no way you can physically get that much. And so when we build space stations, it's going to be actually easier in the long run to get the equipment to the orbit that will mine the asteroids, bring the material back, and build the space stations in low Earth orbit than it would be to fly the all the material up from Earth. Fascinating. So the last thing to really get into understanding space is really just watching videos about different things, like Venus. Watch the videos about cloud cities on Venus. That's Hmm. one NASA thing. NASA has even studied it. Watch videos about Mars terraforming. Watch watch people. You can find arguments about what the ethics of terraforming. 
because there are people that argue that humans are a virus on the on the on the universe, and there are people people that argue, and I agree with them that humans should colonize other planets. That it's our biological, moral, whatever imperative to go to space. There's great stuff for writing books where you are, you can delve into the ethics. There's whole there are entire legal groups that focus on the legal ramifications of space. Uh, the Read the space treaty. The the there's several treaties. There's the outer UN Outer Space Treaty. Outer Space Treaty is ratified by almost everyone, and it's really annoying. But it's <laughs> and people are gonna try to. There's gonna be people that try to enforce it. And there's gonna be people that decide that piracy sounds better. Mm. There's the Moon Treaty, which no almost nobody ratified because it's a garbage piece of legislation. And there's some other treaties, and there's recent legal stuff where Donald Trump said, oh, the moon, you if you harvest the materials, you own them. And he was not the only one. Biden has said the same thing. So there's definitely the, the U.S. is trying to implement that private enterprise can do outer space mining. Meanwhile, you've got other countries doing the same thing. So uh, there's also the legal ramifications of China versus America, because the U.S., NASA is not legally allowed to talk to China at all. Hmm. Not even like they cannot even acknowledge their existence. Hmm. So as a NASA subcontractor, that's my day job. I do a lot of subcontracting for NASA. I would not be able to ever work in China, do any subcontracting for China. So these are all things that to take into account, like try to find the information about the the ethics, the legal, the the science. So it's not you don't just have to be a scientist. There's some great stuff if you have interest in business. I I de- and I'm happy to talk to anyone, but uh, that's part of my degree is I I learned all about all these different things. And so uh, if there is, it is becoming an actual industry and it's estimated that in the next 10 years, it'll be like a trillion dollar industry. Wow. It's coming. I mean, it's inevitable. So what, what I'm hearing from that, from that explanation is that unless you have a a thousand master's degrees, don't write hard science. No, (laughs) no, I just kidding. No, I I think (laughs) you could definitely learn these. And I appreciate you say, saying those resources, because I think that there's a lot of people that are invested in learning that type of thing, whether or not they have time for degrees, um, knowing what resources are there definitely opens up doors for people who may want to write hard sci-fi, but maybe are nervous too, because, you know, they're like, ah, you know, so-and-so, so like you, for example, Hiram has these degrees. I'm nervous for someone like that to read it. But hey, now they've got some resources that they could dive into because they can learn those things, um, yeah. which I think the is great. The other thing is we're willing to talk. Almost, right. I, I, there are very few scientists and engineers that are th- enthusiastic about this that are not willing to mm. talk and answer your question sure. and be beta readers. So. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, having having resources in people. So you may have some people reach out to you. Say, hey, Hiram, I, I want to write or I am writing this hard sci-fi. I'd love to spin some things by you to see see what you think yeah. about them. Happy I'd be to. curious to know, have you read the Red Rising series? Just I have curious. not. You have it's not. On okay. my t- it's on my list. Problem is, there's just too much on my list. The list is too long. I, yes. It's pretty common. It's not yes. just you. No, no rush. But when you do, I'd love you to to 
just message me. I really enjoy that series. Now, Mm -hmm. for me, I don't know that I have the know how to classify that as whether or not it's hard or space opera or whatnot, but I really enjoyed it. And, you know, when you talked about kind of the ethics of terraforming, it really comes into play. Like the government, legislature, ethics, all of that comes into play in those books. Mm -hmm. So it it made me think of that exactly. And I really, really enjoyed those books. So when you get to it someday, let me know. I'm curious to know what you think. Um, But like I said, I enjoyed them. So all of this to say is, would you... um, how would you recommend people begin? Do you, do you recommend that they um, kind of plan out, plot out their stories or think about the stories that they have and then from there determine what science makes most sense to dive into? Or do you just kind of recommend that someone kind of learn some of the general science like orbits and whatnot prior to mapping out their stories because it might influence their stories? Or maybe it doesn't matter. I'm just curious to know what you think might be more effective. I think both have their place. <clears throat> Always recommend learnings more just because you will get ideas. Sure. Um, okay. But at the same time, uh, story, Brandon Sanderson's zeroth law is when all else fails, do, do what's awesome. And <laughs> okay. that's part of the story. So if, you're, if your story needs to have some element that is not in keeping with, with traditional physics, that's your magic system or Mm -hmm. your science, whatever you want to call it. So I needed in my book to have propellantless thrust in one of my other books. Propellantless thrust doesn't exist. It's the, it is literally the holy grail of rocketry is to make a propellantless thrust system. No one's done it. So therefore it's my magic system, AKA my science fiction. So if you need some element to be that, then make it that and then use it consistently. That makes it hard sci-fi. It's not about using something. Okay. The reason Harry Potter, and I, people, it, technically it's fantasy, but I still call it, it's, it's the same thing. It's a soft magic system, soft sci-fi. It ha, it doesn't follow its own rules. Mm-hmm. One, it's this. And then next minute it's that. And and it's still just Star Wars. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you up, Fair enough. Harry Potter is Star Wars. I've and heard a lot of comparisons. Yep. Yes, it's quite amusing. But that's part. That's the reason it's an archetype. But fundamentally, you will make anything hard sci-fi if you follow the same rules throughout the book. And so you don't need to know all the science beforehand. You need to know what is it get, that's going to make it awesome. And then stick to that. Now you're okay. Home okay, interesting. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, and I have very little opinions of Harry Potter because I've read them once in my life, and I was in like fifth grade, <laughs> so I I hardly remember a lot of what yeah. goes on. Those, but I have I'm heard a, little... a lot of the comparisons between Star Wars and, and Harry Potter, and they seem to make sense. I'm definitely a little older than you on that one. They came out while I was in high school and college. So just, just a little bit. That's not, it's yeah. not that much older than me, no. but I think this is helpful. And so we're just kind of spin back to, um, 
a little bit more about you and, you know, if people did want to run some things by you or if they wanted to find other resources, how would they go about finding some? Let's say they don't have a family member or a friend or someone that is really educated in science. Are there resources for connecting with people like this that yes. might be able to help them? Yes. Now, you'll want to do some educating of yourself first. Prior, so you can, sure. um, number one, first and foremost, if you want to ask someone questions, lead with the level of humility that you would if you wanted someone else to ask you about your expertise. Sure. Okay. I was at dinner just the other day with some with some NASA engineers uh, preparing. We're, we're doing a, a big project for work that I can't talk about, but um, they were telling me about what happens to them. They love it when kids ask them questions because the kids are honest. But most of the time when adults ask them questions, they will lead with, well, I know the earth is flat, but, or they will lead with something absolutely ridiculous like that. And and they'll ask questions like, this is a real question that apparently this NASA engineer has gotten multiple times because it's a thing on the internet. You have your plugs in the wall, right? Well, that power comes from the power company and you have to pay for it. But if you can plug into the drywall on that same wall, you'll get electricity. Yeah, I, your eyebrows are saying the correct answer. Fascinating. Yes. And so <laughs> don't, don't lead with crackpot theories you learned on the internet. Mm. Unless you're asking, I learned this from the internet. Does it have any validity? And if they say no, say, oh, okay. Um, I personally, as a sci-fi author, I didn't know I would, this was a thing that an author does, but I collect conspiracy theories. Interesting. Okay. Some people collect stamps. And so <laughs> I love them. They're fascinating. So learn the conspiracies and then learn why they're wrong. And you'll already be ready to talk to the science people. Fair then enough. you'll... Talk to the NASA engineers. They're willing to talk. They are friendly people for the most part. The ones that have their numbers publicly listed. The reason is because they're the PR guys. Mm. They're to talk to the public. So there are NASA engineers listed. You can find them and they'll talk to you. They might not know what you're talking about necessarily because it might not be their field of expertise. Because if you get the guy that's in charge of rockets and you want to ask about habitats different people but he might be able to get you on the right track second universities a lot of people at universities do research about space and they love to talk these guys do not get that many opportunities to talk to other human beings that don't know what they already know mm, okay scientist goes to school yeah, they have to teach undergrads, but that gets tiring because it's a, you know, one to a group and these guys just want their grade. And so having someone honestly come to them and say, I'm curious about this and I'm an author. That's another thing. Lead with saying, I'm an author doing research. People open up about that. It's like the, la you know, the ladder principle mm. into a, if you go into a public building carrying a ladder, they just let you through. Mm hmm. It happens, and it's hilarious. Um, don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> but 
if you do the same thing, say I'm an author, like I was listening to a podcast about uh, crime novels. This guy, he, he studies, you know, criminals and all that. And he'll, he needs to go ask cops questions and he'll ask them questions that honestly sound terrifyingly creepy and dangerous, but he leads by saying, I'm an author doing research. Can I ask you about murder? And they'll tell him everything he wants to know because they love it. Humans mm -hmm. sharing information, especially if they know it might make it into a book. So tell them, I'm an author. I want to learn about how a microwave resonance uh, acceleration system would work uh, if it was really if it really worked. And they'll that scientist knows perfectly well that that's a pipe dream. That the microwave resonance um, Casimir drives are not going to work in our lifetime unless someone discovers some new physics. But they'll tell you why it doesn't work. Mm. And they'll tell you what people think it should work because you're an author. I, I think that's excellent advice. So hopefully anybody listening, if you are seeking inspiration or information about anything, lead with you're an author and and you'll get all sorts of information. I know if someone came to me with that, I would be, I can understand why I'd be more than willing to share that information. Or carry um, a ladder. Or <laughs> carry a ladder. If you're doing it for research, then yes, try carrying a ladder. <laughs> then just say, I'm an author. I was testing to see if this works. Uh, no. Uh, this has been an excellent discussion where we're running short on time. Before we end out here, I, I, want, I always like to ask uh, the person, where can people find more information about you and for potential upcoming books? Do you have a website or social media that they can follow you on? I do. Um, I'm very fortunate that uh, my pen name, which is what I go by, Hiram Hawks, is so obscure and so rare that I'm the only one. So Good. if you go to HiramHawks.com, that's me. Uh, look for Hiram Hawks on TikTok or Instagram or even YouTube, though YouTube is garbage apparently these days for getting your getting authors started. I think I have to I think I think I have to do more than post the shorts. I think I might need to post real long, long videos there. But basically just search Hiram Hawks. I'm there. Perfect. That is that is excellent. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I hope you found that interesting and helpful. I know for myself, I'm I would really like to get more into the sci-fi space. Sunfire is not. I wouldn't say it's definitely not hard sci-fi, but it's kind of like that flexible, loose sci-fi. Um, I would like to get perhaps into a little bit more of harder sci-fi. It's hard to say um, where I'd want to go with it. But hearing Hiram has been encouraging. Um, I definitely don't have the time or money to get fancy degrees. <laughs> so won't be spending time doing that. But he brought up some amazing resources that you can take a look at, which I think is great. Next week, I'll be talking to Natasha Sapienza about writing fiction for young adults or for youth and how our writing can have an impact on their young minds. So it's a really insightful conversation. Um, join us next week and we'll have a great time. In the meantime, if you have questions for me or just want to say hi, you can find me on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, author Dan Kenners is where you'll find it or author D Kenner at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can contact me at my site, dankenner.com. Thanks so much.